Father, we've just sung that we want to give you heart and mind and will that say, I love you, Lord. And we pray that all three will be engaged as we study your word now. Lord, help us with our minds to study the word. Help us with our hearts to feel it. Help us with our will to follow through and obey you and trust in you. We pray this will be a time of blessing. Pour out your spirit upon preacher and congregation alike and those who are at home as well equally. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a precious passage to turn to tonight in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49 and verses 14 to 16. Just three verses. Isaiah 49 verse 14. But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Please keep your Bible open there. You know, it seems hard to think that these are days when you just don't know what you can trust anymore. Uh, Here's a photograph of a group known as the Sopranos. And uh, it looks like they're all gathered in a local pub, perhaps after an event. But I want you to know, not two of those people were actually together. That is a photo which is a doctored photo of lots of individual people in different places at different times, all merged together by a computer skill called Photoshop that made it look like they were all sat together. You would never have believed it, would you? It looks like they're all in that room. Today, we uh, have many photos that are like, done like this. Some of the royal family photos, actually, they touch them up before they uh, put them out and they put smiles on the members of the royal family who weren't smiling in the photo and so on. Of course, this is nothing new. In the uh, Russian Bolshevik Re- Revolution uh, in the 1960s, later on, um, Lenin, to remember Lenin, he was, uh, there was photographs of him at the Bolshevik Re- Revolution 1917, uh, but Someone noticed, actually, it was a doctored photo. And Trotsky, who was his later enemy, was taken out of the photo. You can see how that was taken out. And that was in the school textbooks in Russia. And then what about the pips on the radio? For many people, the pips on the radio were the definitive way of telling the time. But you know what? Since we've been over to digital audio band, DAB, they're now 10 seconds too late. And... uh, It takes time from the digital signal coming out and then being uh, reprogrammed to come into your your radio. And it is 10 seconds after they were sent out. So someone said, really, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just a jingle to say the time. Who would ever have thought you couldn't trust the pips on the BBC? 
There are many things like that in life you come to realise that are not quite trustworthy. But when it comes to the Lord, the Lord is thoroughly trustworthy. And his faithfulness is one of the great doctrines of the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. The Lord says, therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24 said, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. One theologian has said the, the, the quality, this quality is essential to God's being and without it he would not be God. What does it mean that God is faithful? Well, according to R.A. Torrey, who was a, a famous American preacher and theologian, uh, the two words that we use for faithfulness in Hebrew and in Greek mean this. The word for faithfulness in Hebrew is a word which means to prop or support or hold something up. In other words, you can rely on the Lord. You can lean on the Lord. You can rest on him, on his faithfulness. And the Greek word in the New Testament means something that is trustworthy and you can rely on it. And that is what God's faithfulness is all about. But I have to say, God's faithfulness is sometimes under attack. And sometimes it's not just the unbelievers or the uh, uh, liberal theologians who would attack uh, the faithfulness of God. Sometimes our attacks come from the evil one and they come into our own hearts. In fact, I would say this, I don't think there's a doctrine in the Bible apart from the existence of God, that Satan has attacked more than God's faithfulness. A.W. Pink said this, There are seasons in the lives of all when it is not easy, no, not even for Christians, to believe that God is faithful. Our faith is, surely, is sorely tried, our eyes bedimmed with tears, and we can no longer trace the outworkings of his love. Our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, harassed by the atheistic whisperings of Satan, and we can no longer hear the sweet accents of his still, small voice. Cherished plans have been thwarted, friends on whom we have relied have failed us. A professed brother or sister in Christ has betrayed us. We are staggered. We sought to be faithful to God, and now a dark cloud hides him from us. We find it difficult, yea impossible, for carnal reason to harmonise his frowning providence with his gracious promises. That's, that's the reality for many people in their lives. They come to, to question the faithfulness of God. They don't question, is God there? But is God really faithful? Well, I want us to have a look tonight at a passage that deals with that very thing. And I believe we'll come to the conclusion that, yes, 
He is faithful. This is a passage which God has spoken to many people over the years to emphasize his faithfulness to him. In 2022, Open Doors Prayer Diary contained the story of a widow in Nepal who was a pastor's wife. Uh, They were both converted from a Hindu background and because they were quite poor, they lived with uh, the spouse, the husband's family who were Hindus still. And they didn't approve of the marriage because uh, they say that Rita, this lady here in the picture, uh, had led her husband into Christianity away from Hinduism. And that was one thing they were willing to bear. But in 20, uh, I think it was 2019 or 2020, her husband died of COVID-19. And that left her living with this Hindu family who blamed her for her husband's conversion. And she came on the rough end of it. It was a difficult time for her. In the Open Doors Prayer Diary, she says, I prayed and prayed and put my questions to God. Then God assured me that he will never leave me through Isaiah 59 verse 15. This passage we're looking at tonight. He also told me to be strong and courageous through Joshua 1 verse 9. After that, I found peace in my heart. I felt God's presence in my life. She felt and knew this from this passage that God is faithful. And I pray that that'll be the conclusion that we come to as well as we study it tonight. Because there's times when we all need to defend God's faithfulness in our hearts. Let's see three things tonight. I want to draw out from this passage the problem of deceptive feelings. Because this is here in this text in verse 14. Secondly, the principle of divine faithfulness in verse 15. And thirdly, the proof of devoted focus that we're always before God's eyes in verse 16. These three things. First of all then, the problem of deceptive feelings. Have a look again with me at verse at verse 14, I've got the wrong note down there, but the right one up there, that's good. Verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. In this passage of scripture, Isaiah is describing the time when Israel will come back to the land in the future. And there will be a great regathering of the Jewish people in, uh, to their promised land when the Lord Jesus comes back. That's the subject of this whole chapter. It's a part of what we call the servant songs. And when the servant is made uh, ruler over the nations, this is one of the things that will happen. And yet, it says here that when the Jewish people uh, are, are hearing this or thinking about this, they're going to be saying, and this is what the name Zion represents, the Jewish people, the Lord has forsaken me. And it's interesting they use the two names of God in this passage. You'll notice the first time the word the Lord is put, it's put in all capitals. That means the name Jehovah in Hebrew, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And then the second time is put in with a capital L and then small case O-R-D, which is the name Adonai. And theologians believe that this is basically the father and the son in the Trinity. And they will say that the Lord has forsaken us. My Lord has forgotten me. And that is actually where many Jewish people are today. I remember hearing Rabbi Lionel Blue on the radio. Do you remember hearing him on Radio 4? And he was being interviewed on one time and he talked about his battle with unbelief. 
And he told how his, uh, he was, a, I believe, a, I'm right in saying a Holocaust survivor. And he said, in the Holocaust, we Jewish people, he said, we said, where is our God? Where is our God? We're meant to be the head of the nations, not the bottom of the nations. We're, we're not meant to be the ones who are, who are cast into the furnace. Where is he? And we prayed and he wasn't there. And they felt forsaken by our God. And that's why many people among the Jewish people today are atheists. You go to the land of Israel, you expect it to find a very spiritual place. Well, you'll find a lot of orthodox, but you will also find an awful lot of atheists. Because Israel today feels that the Lord has forsaken us. If you want a picture of this, think about Naomi coming back to the land in the book of Ruth. Uh, when she felt that God had dealt harshly with her because her, her family and her children had all died when she was in exile in Moab. And the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Didn't, it didn't deny the existence of God, but she felt like God had forsaken her. These are the feelings that many times God's people have. And we can go through the scriptures and we can see this in many stories of the Bible. Think about Job. Ever a man suffered, Job suffered, didn't he? And at first, Job was very strong. The first two chapters, Job was very strong. And he, it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his mouth. That's a remarkable verse, if you've ever been through something. But then the later chapters, Job is full of questions and feelings that are overwhelming. And I want my day in court with God. I want to find out what has gone wrong, what I've done wrong, because as far as I can see, I'm righteous. And all this has happened to me. And we know the story, how in the end, the Lord brought him through it. But that was a reality for him, those feelings. We think of the disciples in the boat, in the storm. And there they were, battling against the wind and the waves, and the boat was filling with water, and the Saviour was asleep in the, in the helm of the boat. And they woke him up and they said, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Don't you care about us? That's how they felt. Think about Martha in the home. Busy, stressed out, beyond imagination. The Lord, with all his disciples, had descended upon her in her house. At the time when it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was meant to be enough food and and rejoicing and provision and everything. And here she was, stressed out, trying to feed everybody, trying to do all the work. And Mary was just sitting there, listening to Jesus teach. Don't you care that she's left me to do all the work? She felt forgotten, forsaken by the Lord, didn't she? Think about David. And always remember, David wrote Psalm 22. And it was then prophetic of the Lord Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the experience of many of God's people. And the Bible testifies to this. That very often we have feelings that God has abandoned us and let us down. And this is a a concerning thing because whether we like it or not, we are people who have feelings. Feelings are a a valid part of our existence. When I was growing up, I was told, never trust your feelings and and don't don't be a feeling person. Well, you read the book of Song of Solomon and it's all about feelings. (laughs) How, How do you know what love is if you don't know what feelings are? You know, feelings are such an important thing. But the reality is, sometimes our feelings can be deceptive. 
The Bible warns us in the book of Jeremiah that we have an evil heart, uh, a heart which is uh, sometimes wrong. Who can know the wickedness of their own heart? And sometimes our own hearts are deceptive uh, uh, and lead us astray. And we end up with wrong feelings about God. And that's what was happening here. And maybe that's what's happening with you in your life at this time. If so, let's just think for a moment. What are the reasons for such feelings? Why do people have such feelings like this? I can see a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because of bad theology. Sometimes it's what people actually expect. I remember when we were on holiday one time down in Cornwall. uh, We were uh, staying at a place and we uh, went out for the day and we uh, saw this beautiful old chapel. Now I'm a sucker for things like this and uh, and it's not just Union Chapel. But it's a beautiful old chapel that was being renovated. And I said, let's let's go in. And we went inside and there were two workmen who were working inside. And we struck up a conversation. I wanted to know what was this building going to be used for. Uh, Was it being transferred into a house or was it being translated into a new place of worship? And... uh, Sadly, I think it was being turned into a house, but uh, I, I was able to say, you know, about how I believe in the Lord and, and you know, places like this are special to me because it's where God was worshipped. And, and, and I gave a word of testimony and I said to, to the men, you know, put your trust in the Lord. He'll never let you down. And boy, I, I wasn't ready for the comeback. He'll never let you down. Are you sure about that? Well, I think God could let people down. And they poured out their feelings to me that they didn't believe in a faithful God. See, they they didn't compute with their rationale, their thinking. And they had a bad theology. And if you have a theology that allows for God to be like people, you need to correct your theology. The Bible says in the book of Numbers that God is not like man, that he should lie. Sometimes we do that. The psalmist, in, in the Psalms, God says, you've made me altogether like yourselves. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We paint a human face with human characteristics on God. And we, we say he's like us. Beware of bad theology. It will lead you into deceptive feelings of God being unfaithful. But sometimes bad living can make us feel that way too. Sometimes bad living, uh, when we sin and live a sinful life and we're, we're backsliding and, and we're, we're living lives of sin and we know we're doing wrong, we think, oh, I know God won't like this. So we doubt then that God's going to answer our prayers. We doubt then that God's going to be true to us. We doubt then that God's going to save us. And bad living leads to feelings that God is unfaithful. There's an answer to that. (laughs) Repent and get right. And and beware. Spurgeon said that sin cannot cut the child of God off from the Lord. But don't be fooled into thinking it can't hurt you. Because it can. And I've been with old ladies and old men who I thought were stalwart Christians. But on their deathbeds, they were very worried about some sin they committed 20, 30 years ago. And they were worried about it still. And they still believe that God couldn't be faithful to them because of what they had done wrong. Take it to the cross and live right for the Lord. It will be the best answer to this this problem. But then bad experiences, isn't it? Bad experiences often leave people feeling that God is unfaithful to them. 
And we, we have difficulties in life. And those bad feelings, those bad experiences, they lead us. And where were you, Lord? Why did you let that happen? I know that was my own experience in uh, our previous pastorate in, in, in another place. And I've ended up feeling, God, do you care for truth? I took a stand for truth. Where were you? When I was a young pastor, when I was starting down the ministry, people told me, preach the word and God will be with you. And I preached the word and I got it thrown back in me. I'd said, stake a stand for God, stand up against false teaching. And I felt like God let the, the people who wanted the bad teaching to, to carry on, let them win. I didn't understand it. Bad experiences can leave you feeling that way. Sometimes we need to remember that in the Christian life, we have to live by faith and we can't see all the details. Warren Wisby says this, he says, we, in the Christian life, we don't live by explanations. We live by faith. And sometimes God's ways are inexplainable to us. We just don't understand why he allows certain things to happen. But we need to be careful that doesn't then lead to deceptive feelings. Those are the three reasons that I can see that we get these bad feelings. And we need to be careful because the results of such feelings can be apostasy and backsliding. Some people end them, makes them say, well, I don't believe, therefore, in God. And the Bible warns us, beware of an evil heart of unbelief. Other people, it makes them backslide and drift away from the Lord. And that's a, that's a terrible thing to let happen. So I want to warn you tonight, dear brothers and sisters, beware of deceptive feelings. You may feel like the people of Zion, that God has been unfaithful to you. But those feelings are wrong. They are wrong. Because the character of God is such he cannot be unfaithful, as we will see. So where do these feelings come from? A.W. Pink said, Satan is ever seeking to inject that poison into our hearts to distrust God's goodness. Resist with the utmost abhorrence anything that causes you to doubt God's love and his loving kindness towards you. Another writer said this, your mind is like a womb of your spirit. It nurtures each seed you sow until the time of delivery. If you don't want a seed, if you don't want what a seed will ultimately produce, you must stop sowing it or feed on, feeding on it. And that's right. God wants you to grow. Satan wants you to backslide. So you must deal with that problem and you must reject it. Renew your mind with the word of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take in the word of God and feed on the word. Sometimes when we start feeling that God is unfaithful, we stop reading our Bible. And that's the problem. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The best defence is to stay in the scriptures. So if you're having this feeling, I urge you to try and chuck it out of your life. It may just be a little feeling at the moment, but feelings turn into words. 
Words turn into actions. Actions turn into habits. Habits turn into a characters. And characters end up being destinies. What do you want to become? A believer or an unbeliever? Don't let the deceptive feelings stay hanging around. Do what Tim Flock had to do. Tim Flock was a, a, a 1950s racing car driver. In America, they have what's called NASCAR driving, and it's uh, fast track driving. And uh, he and his uh, promoter, Tim Chester, thought it would be a great publicity stunt if they got a monkey to be the co-pilot with Tim Flock. So they bought a little monkey, and uh, they called him Jocko Flocko. <laughs> and for eight drives, it went wonderful. And they were uh, getting a lot of publicity. This was the car with the monkey poking his tongue out at all the other drivers as, he <laughs> as they overtook. But on the ninth time they were going round a track, something happened. Jocko managed to get out of his little seatbelt in the car seat next to the driver. And he managed to lift up a hole in the bottom of the car which was like a, 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 for, uh, a letting uh, any liquid in, uh, letting it out. And as he lifted this hole at the bottom, a stone, a little stone off the track, flew up and just on, the, on his forehead, hit him on the forehead. The monkey went wild inside the car. He started attacking Tim. He started scratching his face. It almost caused a very dangerous crash. And Tim had to pull over and get rid of the monkey. Tim said, I'm the only driver in NASCAR history to lose a race because we had to get rid of a monkey. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes that's what you've got to do. Maybe you've been living with a dangerous monkey, the monkey of bad feelings in your life. Get it out. Get it out. It's a dangerous thing to let those deceptive feelings towards God's faithfulness linger. The second thing I want you to see is the, the principle of divine faithfulness. Because the point of this passage is to defend God's faithfulness. And in verse 15, the Lord answers this accusation with these words. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. And here's one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the Old Testament, where God compares his love to the love of a mother. D.L. Moody, in a book of evangelistic sermons that he put together of his, called God's Love, says this. He says, the strongest human love that we know of is a mother's love. Many things will separate a man from his wife. A father may turn his back upon his own child. Brothers and sisters may become deep-seated enemies. Husbands may desert their wives, wives their husbands. But a mother's love endures through everything. Through good and bad reports, and in the face of the world's condemnation, a mother loves on. She hopes that her child will turn from his evil ways and repent. She remembers the infant smiles, the merry laugh of childhood, the promise of youth. She can never think of him as unworthy. Death cannot quench a mother's love. It is stronger than death. 
and I think that's probably true, the strongest love we know of in the, in the world is a mother's love. And God compares it, his love, to that. But actually, God goes beyond that. And he says this, he asks this question, can a woman forget her nursing child? And normally we would say no, because the nursing child, the child, the nurse on the mother's breast, the newborn child, she could never forget him, never have uh, failed to have compassion on him. And yet, God knows that sometimes that does actually happen. I found two stories in the paper that were fascinating to me over the years. One was from 2011, the other's from, I think, 2017. And uh, they're of two mothers... Both of whom, as a result of having an epidural when they went in for, um, to have their babies, they both suffered from prolonged amnesia. And even as soon as they'd had the baby, they didn't even know they'd had a baby. They were shown pictures of them giving birth. They were shown pictures of the baby with them. They said, that's not my baby. Amnesia had come on them temporarily because of what had happened. It is possible for a mother's love to somehow be crushed and uh, for her to forget her child. And God knows that. It's interesting in this passage, if you're using the New King James, if you're using the NIV, you won't see it. But in the New King James, God says, can a woman? And then he says, surely they may forget, <laughs> plural. And there are actually cases. There's two cases there. We've had some pretty horrible stories about mothers and babies in the news recently. Also things like this. And someone told me a, recent, a story recently of a mother who was at a sporting event and went home and left her child behind, uh, a little baby. God says, surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. God goes beyond a mother's love. He says, my love is stronger even than the strongest known human love, the love of a mother. And he says, this is the, is the principle of my faithfulness. One comedian said, when our kids were young, we took them everywhere, but they kept finding their way home. <laughs> well, God never abandons us. He is always with us. And he is thoroughly faithful. And God introduces the principle, the doctrine, if you like, of his divine faithfulness. Ken Campbell, who's a, a, a professor in biblical studies, says this. Faithfulness in the Bible means trustworthiness, reliability, constancy, credibility. The living God is dependable. We can count on him. He will never fail or falter or let us down. This is why his word can be believed and his actions will always be consistent with his words. The faithful God holds true to his promises. He will do what he says always. I made a list this week of all the ways in which I could think of that God was faithful. just want to share them with you. So you can see from the Bible the principle of God's faithfulness. First of all, he's faithful in his character. Do you know he says in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Aren't you glad about that, that God doesn't change in his character? You know some of us are up and down with our moods like a thermometer, aren't we? 
You know, we change with the weather and we, perhaps we have biological things that make us go up and down. And if God was like that, he'd be loving us one minute and wiping us off the face of the earth the next. But praise God, he's faithful in his character. James 1.17 says that he doesn't change. He's faithful in his creation. Do you remember the covenant promise to Noah to send summer and winter, seed time and harvest? Hasn't God been faithful to that over all the years? We know he's been faithful. We can't deny it. Earth's humanity would not be here now. In fact, in Matthew 5 verse 45 says he's faithful even to send rain and sunshine on the just and the unjust. He is faithful in his creation. He's also faithful in his covenants. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy. And I'm so glad of that. We've just celebrated the new covenant in Jesus' blood. If God wasn't faithful in his covenant, then what we've just done in taking communion means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. God can break his covenants, then we have no assurance of salvation whatsoever. Jesus can die for our sins and he'd go, don't care, you're going to hell, and that's the end of it. But he is faithful. He is faithful to keep his covenants and always will be. He's faithful in his compassions. Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's faithful in his compassions and his charity, his kindness to his children. And we know that. He's faithful in his chastening. Did you ever think about that? You know, I know a lot of parents who never discipline their children. And uh, we have those in Christian circles. We have those in non-Christian circles. We see them uh, in the school uh, yard and so on. But God isn't like that. God is faithful to discipline his children because he knows that's what will keep them in line. And Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, when the Lord, uh, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He loves you. And I'm so grateful for that. He is faithful in his commandments. Psalm 119 verses 86 says, All thy commandments are faithful. He never commands something evil or wicked or wrong. He commands what is right and true. He is faithful in his cleansing. And I am so glad of that. 1 John 1 verse 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I'm so glad for this last one. He will be seen to be faithful in his coming again. The Lord Jesus has said, I will come again. His last promise in the Bible in Revelation 22. And he will be faithful to that. It's a beautiful, beautiful principle of divine faithfulness. And I thank God for it. You know, when uh, Thomas Edison was a little boy, his teacher sent him home from school. He's an idiot. We can't teach him. His mother said, no, he's not. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to prove you wrong. And boy, does she prove him wrong. <laughs> and Thomas Edison, whose mother didn't give up on him, gave us the lights by which we're able to have this service here tonight. God is more faithful than a mother to a child. His faithfulness is a principle in our Christian life. The final thing I want to see here from this passage is the proof of divine focus. Because in verse 16, 
God lays it out and he says the word see or behold at the beginning of verse 16. And he wants them to look and see that he hasn't taken his eyes off them as they think he has. He says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. At the end of the passage, God says, I have you always before my face. You've got no idea, but you are always on my mind. That sounds like words of a song, doesn't it? But that's what God is saying. You are always before me. And he says two things, his wounds and their walls. Now I'm going to deal with them in reverse order. The walls are the walls of Jerusalem. And God said in Deuteronomy 12 that that would be the place where he would put his name. And his face would always be turned towards Jerusalem. And I won't tell you it is. When you go to the land of Jerusalem, you're where God is looking. That's ground zero for God's great mighty works of redemption and prophecy in the future. And God even has the future walls of Jerusalem, which are going to be rebuilt continually before his mind. Like an architect who's thinking through the plans of the future that he's going to do. God says, your walls are always before me. And just because the walls of Zion are broken down now, don't think I've forgotten you. Your walls are always there in my mind. But the second, but the first proof is the one that is the most astounding. Because he said, see I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. The word for inscribed there is the Hebrew word shakak. You'd spell it S-H-A-Q-A-Q. And it means to to carve or engrave or to pierce. Now how can God ever show the people his hands? God is a spirit. Spirit doesn't have hands. So how can God show them his hands and prove he has them engraved on his hands? Well, if you're a Christian, you know the answer. Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, the spirit, God, the son, took a human body and went to the cross and was nailed in his hands. We sung it earlier. See his hands, his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Christ was crucified and the nails went through the hands. And the fascinating thing is, When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in the power of a resurrection life and a resurrection body, but he still had the marks in his hands. Do you remember that night he appeared to the disciples in the upper room and Thomas wasn't there? And he said, I won't believe until I see the nail marks in his hands. And a week later, the Lord was with them in the upper room, said, here, Thomas, put your fingers here. And it's plural, by the way. I've engraved you on my hands. Not hand, hands. I have a wedding ring to remind me that I'm married on one hand. Somebody said the wedding ring is is on this finger to cut off your circulation. (laughs) And it does, doesn't it? It reminds us we're married, reminds other people we're married. But God has us on both hands. And the scars are still there. When the Lord walked with the two in the Emmaus Road, how did they recognize him? In the breaking of bread. When Christ sat at the table, he broke bread. And they said, the nail-pierced hands. It's Jesus. And they realized he was alive. 
And when Christ comes again, we're told in Zechariah 12 verse 10, that the Jewish people will look on me whom they have pierced. In other words, they will see the nail marks on his hands. And they will see the proof of his devoted focus on them. What love Christ has for us. I heard of a a man by the name of Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who was a surgeon, an expert surgeon, a plastic surgeon. And one day a lady came to see him and she said, I would love you to treat my husband. She bought a photograph of her husband. Her husband had been badly, badly damaged uh, in, in an accident. I think it was in a fire. And he had horrific, horrific marks all over his face. And he wouldn't leave the house. Because, you know, obviously children would look at him. People would be cringing to see his face. And he was embarrassed and he felt he had no worth. He just hid himself away. He wouldn't even let her come near him. And she said, I, I would love you. Do you think you can do any surgery? The man said, I can deal with that. I can make him new. Just tell him, come and see me. I can make him new. But do you know, the man wouldn't come. And the doctor wrote letters. The wife went home and pled. And the man wouldn't come. He, he just was such a low place. And in the end, the wife came to see the doctor again. And she said, he won't come to see you, but I will. She said, I don't want you to heal him now. She said, I want you to disfigure me. I want you to make my face as badly marred as his. So he will then let me into his life again. And he will then know that I love him. And the doctor was astounded. He'd never been asked to do that before. He actually refused to do it. And he actually made the man have the surgery in the end. And they had a happy ending. But he said, I never forgot that. Someone who was willing to be disfigured because of their love for someone else. Well, when you doubt that God is faithful, just remember the nail marks in his hands. You are inscribed on his hands. Some people say our names are written on his hands. It's not our names. If you look carefully at the text, he says, you are on the palms of my hands. Everything about you, your needs, your concerns, your worries, your loves, your hates, you are on my hands. And I can never forget you. And that was put there at Calvary. What an amazing proof of his devoted focus. I love the Winnie the Pooh stories. In the, one of the stories, Piglet says to Winnie the Pooh, we'll be friends forever, won't we, Pooh? And Pooh replies, even longer. Even longer than forever. And you will be with the Lord ever in eternity, saved by his grace. And you will gaze on those glorious scars, as Charles Wesley said. Top lady said, my name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. That's the proof of devoted focus. God is faithful and he loves you. So let us be faithful to his faithfulness. And let's defend it 
in our hearts, in our pulpits, in our lives. May God help his church.